Okay, we're going <clears> to <throat> share, and sometimes I think, I think that God wants to do like a, a series, and what I mean by that is to reveal a lot of his counsel in the scriptures on a continual basis. But I believe that's what he wants, but we'll see, because a lot of times he'll, he'll change, and he has in himself that place to do that. <clears throat> but I want to be reading, and I want to read. There's so much that we can glean <clears throat> from the book of Job. And uh, that's why in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture, not just the Pauline epistles, but all Scriptures are God-breathed. They are inspired of God himself. And there's a lot from the types, and when we talk about types, we're talking about us as those that are in Christ, in this dispensation of grace, which is called the church age. That's why we teach you don't go to church, because the Bible teaches that. We are the church. Nowhere in all the Bible is a church a building. Not anywhere in all the scriptures. We are his church. We see that in Matthew 16 and verse 18. And even the word church is made up from the Greek word ekklesia. Out outcalled ones to assemble around Christ. That's what a church is. Now we go to a place as a local assembly and we need a place to meet. The meeting place can be a building, but we are the church. No question about it, right? And so, but anyway, as the church that we are in this dispensation of grace in Christ, we can glean a lot. And it's necessary for us first to understand our position in Christ. And when we do... When we do, and that's foundational. That's why the book of Ephesians, when you look at the book of Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians, that is the height of the Christian position in Christ. As far as Christ is above everything, so are we in him. And you'll see that in Ephesians, the first chapter in those 23 verses, and then right away in those first six verses of chapter 2 of Ephesians. That is our position in him. And that's very important. And really, the epistle, the understanding of positional truth in Ephesians is literally just the very beginning of Christianity. It's just the very beginning. Really, it's foundational truth. So when we talk about foundational truths, we're talking about positional truths. What's that mean? That means the moment that you and I receive Christ as our Savior, recognizing that only he could deal with our old sin nature in Romans 6, 1 through 6, and then pay for all of our sins. And when we come to him, how do we come to him? We have to come to him to receive him as our Savior as sinners because that's what we are apart from him. And so when we recognize and choose him, choose the fact that he was the sacrifice that dealt with all of our sins in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, him being the sin sacrifice. He, Christ was never made sin, but he was made the sin sacrifice because all of our sins were on him. The pure, perfect, <laughs> holy son of God, all our sins were put on him. And the, man, the moment that we receive him as our substitute, as our savior, we're reconciled to God. That means now we're in a position in him. That's our position. And as much as God himself in Malachi 3.6 doesn't change, 
Neither does he change his mind about you and I in Christ. That's foundational. It is the very beginning of Christianity, the book, the, the epistle of Ephesians. And not to understand positional truth, when we don't, do we have a proper experience, or in other words, a proper reality, a proper identity. Because if Christ isn't my identity as he is in my position, if he's not in my experience, then what do I identify with? Or who would I look to identify with? And so, but the book, book of Job, like all the other types in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all through the Old Covenant, but Job, Job, many believe, and as I do, is next to Genesis, the first, first chapter, really, and, and there through. Job's one of the oldest individuals in the whole Bible. And some would say, it would, would attack the scriptures, you know, simply because they just don't want God to be who he is. <laughs> they don't want God to be God. And they're more interested in expressing their own opinions and their own self-life than ex expressing the truth that Christ is in Proverbs 18, verse 2. But when we look at the book of Job, we can glean so much from that. And again, we see the inspired. So when you're in the first chapter of Job, and you can look there if you want, the, the, the testimony of that inspired word was respecting this man. And he was a, a man of very ancient days, very old, way back. But even then, he was who? He was a genuine man of God. He was definitely born again. He had received Christ. He became a heavenly man. Not a church man like we are, but he is a heavenly man. No question about it. And God's testimony to him, written, recorded, was what? That he was perfect, meaning complete. He was upright. And this is speaking of his position. And one that feared God, reverenced God, and as a result, eschewed or kept away from evil, hated evil. You know, and I, I thought of this this morning. Um, when God deals with areas of our lives, like, for instance, me, when he deals with an area of my life, when there's sin, whether it's rebellious or ignorance, and both are just as dangerous, probably the ignorant one can be a lot more, but... Uh, when that is, and when he points to the evil, and listen, the evil that we're not, because in Romans 8, 9, if we, if the Spirit of God is in us, and he can only be that way because of Christ, right? And you can see that again in the scriptures, okay? No man can call uh, him Christ, Lord, except he has the Spirit of God, which is proof of salvation, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. But he can deal with the areas. So we have the flesh in us, and that's why we stress the word in and of. We have the fleshly nature in us, but we're not of it anymore. We are of Christ. We are positioned in him. But can we still function in areas experientially in the flesh when our will's not submitted to Christ and there's not constant humility and dependence? And, and there is. So when, when we function in evil, okay, when we function in evil, experientially, it's not who we are, but we can sure experience it. We can reap what we sow in Galatians 6, verse 7, no question about it. But how do we get out experientially? How do we get out of that? 
you know. I know we've said before in James 4, 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is what? It's sin, right? It's, it's the flesh being active, right? But, so here's the areas of, of evil. What can I do about it? Tell me, and even in my experience, what can I do about it? The only way, the only thing that can cause me to hate evil, the way that I should, without condemnation, is the love of God through Christ. That's right. Psalm 97, verse 10 says, All you that love, and all you that love God, hate evil. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, he has to humble us, to give us grace, because that's where his love flows through. I mean, none of us deserve God. None of us deserve the love, the goodness, the, the fulfilled justice, everything about it. None of us deserve it. So it has to come through grace because grace is the unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor of God towards objects that in themselves have nothing. But all the value is in the one that does the loving. <laughs> and that's God. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 all the way to 18. And he will love us to the end, by the way. In John 13, verse 1. Having loved his own, he will love them until their end. And that end is when we see him face to face. Where that love will never again be disturbed or distracted. And we see that clearly in the scriptures. So in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We know in part now, but then face to face. <clears throat> but here in Job, it was said that he was... He was perfect and upright and one, as we read the scriptures, that reverenced God and he eschewed, he, he, he hated evil. Now, he was a very wealthy man, Job. He would be, and I don't know how many millions, I'll leave that up to you to figure it out. And that's that one, he's the you. He was a millionaire, there's no question about it. A millionaire over, times over a millionaire. He had great substance. The reason he did, because God blessed him. But all his blessings were earthly blessings. They were. They were all earthly blessings. So that's very important to, to recognize. It's very important for us to recognize that. It isn't anything that we have that wasn't his that he gave us. Not a single thing. I mean, if you consider all the material things that are made, all those things that we sometimes go after, Forget him and go after him. I mean, did they come from the earth in some form? Well, they wouldn't be without it. And who created the earth? <laughs> he did. He did. Everything we have is from him. That's why it says in Psalm 50, uh, verse 10, all the cattle on a thousand hills are his. Back then, cattle meant wealth. He said in Haggai 2.8, all the gold and the silver is mine. Think about that. <coughs> We've said before, maybe in our pockets, maybe in our vaults, maybe in our bank accounts. It may be in all those things that we have, that we bought. But mark it down. The Bible makes it crystal clear. All the gold and silver is what? He says mine. Because where did the gold and silver come from? What will man do to go after it? How far will they dig in the earth? And how much labor will they spend going after that gold and silver. Again, <coughs> Matthew, the sixth chapter. But here, what do we see? It's important to notice this, that he had all this wealth even before God knew 
that he, God, was going to allow Satan to put Job in a furnace. <laughs> You're going to see, you see it in the first chapter. That fire came down. Okay, that fire came down. But we need to see that first, that, that his character was genuine. It was a settled question with God because his character was not based upon himself. It was, a ba- it was based upon the love of God, the character of God that what? Doesn't change and you can't add, you can't take away. It's immutable, it's unchangeable. And that was his character. It was a settled question with God. Notice that? God settled every question with Job through his son, Jesus Christ. Has he done that with us? <laughs> we'll soon find out. <laughs> but we'll find out that he'll never leave us or forsake us in Joshua 1.5 and in Hebrews 13.5. Well, that's what we will find out for sure. But the testimony, though, for us, and when we say about a dispensation, we are in the dispensation of grace. We are not in the dispensation of law or legalism. We're not. I think I said law with an R in the end. It's law. Correcting myself because I have a little corrector. (laughs) And she's my valentine. Now, it's very clear. In this dispensation that we're in, what do I mean by the dispensation? Well, he came to the Jews in John uh, 1, 11 to present himself as their Messiah, their king, their, their true prophet. They rejected him in John 1.11. You see it all the way through the Old Covenant. First, they, they rejected the word. They rejected the prophets that taught the word and told them about Christ. And then, then Christ himself came. And what did they do in John 1.11? Certain translations, like the King James says, he came unto his own, the people, the nation of Israel, and his own received him not. That's kind of watered down because it literally says in the original, it rejected him. No. <laughs> of course, that wouldn't be anything of the flesh still in the believer now, would it? And uh, thank God it's not who we are. It may be in us, but thank God we're not of it. And boy, does he have to teach us that. The truth of our position, the truth of our position in him so that we don't function in what we're not of. Right? And again, everything has to do with the glory of God. So for us, we are his children, true children. You see that in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. We see that in Romans 8, 15 and 16. And what a great inheritance we have as a result of that. Great substance. Listen, eternal substance in Romans 8, verse 17. We have this intense, we have this intense and incredible substance and inheritance of eternity. See, everything that Job had was material, was earthly. Everything that we have in Christ is heavenly. And how far are the heavens above the earth? In Isaiah 55, 8, 9, and 10. How far above? Far above. So here we are. And by the time for us to understand, that's why I said it's very important for us to understand the book of Ephesians. It's very, very important. That is foundational, positional, identification truths. And that foundation needs to be laid before we, as God's dwelling place, the house, can be edified or built up on that foundation. It's very interesting, even in construction in a house, the first most important thing about the house that you build 
goes into the preparation and clearing for the foundation. Because if the foundation's not right, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, if the foundation's not right, you can build on it the most beautiful house, but sooner or later, there's gonna, it's going to develop some serious cracks, some serious uh, damage. And then the second most important thing is the roof. That's right. And that's in Proverbs 10, verse 12, and 1 Peter 4, verse 8, love, love covers and love covers us in opposition in Christ because, because Christ is the foundation. And boy, we build on that and put that roof, in, and Christ is that roof over us. So we see these things, these truths in the book of Ephesians. We see them. And even though we, in this dispensation, remember in John 1.11, it says he came unto his own, his own rejected him. His own, very own cried out in John 18, verse 40, not this man. Furthermore, they cried out in John 19, 15, crucify him. Basically, we would say today, murder him, get rid of him. Get rid of him. God, the priceless son of God, God Almighty. The height of God's creation, Christ, a man, the son of God becoming the son of man and becoming one the height of his treasure. And boy, we're in him. Well, what's that like when we understand that? When we need to know, we need to be taught, all of us, positional truth, so that our experience will be the equal of our position and he will be glorified. So we see that in this dispensation. So John 1.11, he came unto his own, his own rejected him. But, and that's a parenthesis, but. So it, in between the whole Old Covenant, the whole Old Testament, God was calling a people after himself, earthly people, to reveal his glory through every the substance of who he was and giving them freely. Even in Genesis 6, verse 8, what did, what did Noah find in the eyes of the Lord? Grace. Some say, oh, there was no grace in the Old Covenant. Really? Well... The Word of God gives testimony and makes it clear in Genesis 6, verse 8. Noah found what? In the eyes of the Lord. He found grace. Because grace found him. That's the only way he found it. It's the only way we'll ever find it, right? So in this dispensation, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become what? the sons of God, even to them that would believe on his name. Name there, all through the Old Testament, when you look at names, you look it up in the Hebrew and the Aramaic in certain points, and even in the Koine Greek of the New, New Testament, the New Covenant, names speak of character. So, even to them that would believe the character expressed through his name that Christ is, without a doubt, and even though you and I, and we will be, was Job buffeted by the enemy? By the way, when, again, when we look at the book of Job, who instigated all of that? Was it Satan or was it God? It was God. Because what did God have in mind? Boy, well, could it have been his glory? Without a question. And if it was going to be his glory revealed, didn't it have to be grace? And wouldn't that be the truth? It would have to be. 
It would have to be. Because God, that's the only way God can do things to those that aren't worthy. <laughs> and there's, listen, there's no worth in us but, a, but plenty in who we are in Christ. You know, sometimes some would make, uh, if we don't understand positional truth and we don't have a proper experience of what is ours in Christ, which is our inheritance right now. In other words, listen, we're in time, but we have eternal life. Everything about us is, has to do with eternity, not just time. That's why it's nonsense to worry about the details of life. It didn't make any sense. It just doesn't. Because that's time, and we have eternal life in us. We talked about our fortiori a couple of, I don't know, a couple of weeks or a couple of days ago. In Romans 8.31, since God for us, who can be against us? Having done already the most, will he not with him freely give us all things? Will he? Okay, then what's to worry about? What's to worry about? Boy, do we need constantly to be refocused. And thank, thank God that we have the time and we have the place for God to be able to do that with us. So even though we get buffeted, and God allowed that. He instigated it. Why? Because by the time you get to Job, the 42nd chapter, which is the end of the book of Job, you, you and I will see why. We will see why. But that's why in Ephesians, for us, we may be, we may be buffeted by the enemy, and God allows it for what reason? If it is for his good, and his glory does it benefit us. Why? Because he's for us, not against us. Look at the list of the things that can be against you and I. In, in Romans 8, 31 to 39. And can any of them separate us from the love of ours that's in Christ? None of it. None of it. I tell you what. To have, to have by the grace of God, again, this isn't the word of Ed. This is the word of God. And to have the word like this... It's the most important thing about us. It's the most important thing about us. Because I'll tell you, the things we get occupied with most are the details of life. To the exclusion of even the memory of Christ in us. And we've said before, the easiest thing for us to do is to forget God. Thank God he doesn't forget us. He can't. Because it cost him so much through giving us his son that he could never do that. Because I'll tell you, all the value of the Father was in the Son. And that's what they exchanged in John 1, verse 1. The question is for the believer, if we're not taught right, and we don't understand positional, foundational, identification truths, if we don't, what we have in Him hasn't entered into the experience. We will look within and be what? Very discouraged. And we will say, oh my God, look at the evil. Look at, look at it. We, we will be very, very discouraged. And then we will look for areas where there can be some kind of worth in us that will draw out the love that God is and his grace. And when we don't find them, we become very what? Depressed. Because the question is never with the believer in Christ whether we are worthy or not. The answer, and God has answered and he told me this this morning, I have for you, Ed, and for all of us, answered every single question you ever had, and the answer is my son. That's the answer. 
It's settled. It's unchangeable. It's immutable. It's powerful. Powerful. The question is never in you and I, in our walk and in our life, is, uh, is that, are we worthy? Is he not worthy to take those that weren't and make them worthy in himself? Yeah, that's how God sees it. So we can see by the time we get into the first chapter of Ephesians, and that's why I talked about it. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, everything that Job had was earthly. And the enemy could take it away. Now, God ended up giving it all completely back to him. But boy, did he have to teach him, like he has to teach us, about how Job, even as righteous, when he thought his righteousness was a result of his own self, how God had to teach him the self-life. Had to teach him, just like he's got to teach us. You know what you know he has to teach us constantly? Jesus said it in John 15, 1 through 5. Without me, you can do nothing. And as soon as we forget him, we think we have to do something and we think we can do it. Listen, he said it in John 15, verse 5. Without me, you can do nothing because it is the spirit in John 6, 63 that quickens, that imparts life. That's experience. Okay? And we're gonna, we'll, we'll understand the two differences between imputation, we want to get into all these truths, these doctrinal teachers. There's imputation and then there's impartation. Imputation has to do with the fact of our position in Christ. Now, is it being imparted in our experience? That's the thing the enemy goes after. He'll go after you with a lie. You're not worth it. You're not worthy. You won't change. <laughs> I don't know, is God calling us to change to certain things or is he calling us to recognize right, that we already are changed in Christ? Is he making our position now become the equal in our experience so that my present condition is not being depressed, worried, fearful, just getting by? Just want to get by today, God. That's all I want to do. I just want to get by and up and then go to heaven. <laughs> Wow. When we in him, in Romans 8, verse 37, are more than conquerors, but it's in him. And that's why it says he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. You know, Satan could touch the body of Job. He could. And he did. God allowed it. What did he have to bring him to? I know people. God, we have a, a dear friend in a certain location. What did, it, what did it take to get him in a place of rest? And God, God allowed it. But boy, never seen him like that before. Because he's never seen himself like that before. And it all has to do with the glory of God's grace and truth through Christ, who did everything for every single one of us. Every single one of us. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ in Ephesians 1.3. You and I, oh, Christians, today in this dispensation, if we can only understand this, if this could only be our mindset, and I say us, because I'm with y'all. <laughs> I'm not above anybody. 
I'm not below anybody. I'm equal with you in Romans 3, verse 19. We're all equal. We're all guilty in the flesh apart from him, but it's not who we are. His love has leveled the playing field. (laughs) And he can see us, okay? He can see all the guilt. But let me tell you something. He doesn't treat us after it because he treats us after Christ in Romans 8.1. That's why there's no condemnation in him. That's our position. Is that the truth in our experience? So, Christians, we are not our deepest blessings. We are not blessed in earthly places. They do not determine who we are. Money, success, material things are not our identification. They can be, but sooner or later, are they going to wear out and they're going to fail? Are they going to fail? Yes, they are. That's why he deeply, he, he who is first place, desires every place in our life and every place that he has and in controlling us and our experience will never be discouraged. We'll never want to quit. We'll never see ourselves outside of him, ever. None of us ever will. Because he's blessed us already in Christ. He has. He's already done it. He's already finished the work in John 19, verse 30. But he, we are not blessed with earthly places, earthly material things. That is not it, folks. It just isn't. No. Because that is the substance that can be destroyed. (laughs) Multitudes in country, Christians in different countries are experiencing that right now. Thank God we're not up to this point. (laughs) Up to this point. Listen, material blessings and material abundance does not define who we are. If that becomes the definition of who we are, we'll trust more in those things than in the reality about who we are in Christ. We will forget God in a millisecond. And we've said it, the easiest thing for us to do is to forget God. It can take a while to get back into fellowship. Because then God has to deal with all those steps, and he doesn't miss one in his love to get us back. And he doesn't, thank God, he doesn't make us start all over again. But right from that point, just go forward. He is so loving, so gracious, so compassionate. Who's like him? He has to teach us that Christ in us and Christ with us is irreplaceable. Try all you want. Put all the money in the bank, buy all the houses you want, escape one area, go to another. I'm going to tell you something right now. He's irreplaceable. And his word is irreplaceable. And that's what makes it so necessary for all of us to be in the place where we can be taught these things. Because that should be first and foremost with us. There is no question about it. Because those places, those material things, they're going to go. Ask Job. Look what he lost. I don't know what it's like to lose a child. I don't. I know a a, a dear friend (laughs) that has. I know a dear friend and the pain that can cause. (laughs) Job lost them all. He was a millionaire. He lost everything. Fire came down. The enemy allowed it. I mean, God allowed the enemy. Because God does not, he doesn't tempt men with evil. Evil does not come from God. That's James 1, verse 13. 
That's Psalm 97, verse 10. So when we, get, when we say things like evil doesn't come from God, well, how do you know that? Well, I know because God's word is true, and that's what he said. And this is where he said it. <laughs> okay? He allows it for his glory and our good. Because our good has to do with his glory. Because only God is good in Exodus 34 and verse 6. And in Matthew 19, 17 and 18, and Luke 18, um, 17 through 19. Only God is good. And if you think you're going to, and if I think I'm going to get good by change or doing this certain thing, and I think the change is the thing that's going to do the good, I got news for you. You're taking everything that he hasn't dealt with with you. It's true. Nothing replaces him. What, what are you going to replace this word with? Understanding who you truly are in him and how God really sees you. In Job 36, verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. Are we righteous in Christ? Yes. 1 Corinthians 1.30. He's our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. That he that glories, what? Let him glory in what? The Lord. Not the bank account. Not the substance. Not the house. Not the None of those things. None of those. Those are such arbitrary second blessings. They're not even close to who he is. And did you know the moment that you and I received Christ, we have this treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7? He came in. And I want to tell you something right now. We are fragile clay jars. And if we don't function in him, who's the treasure within us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we will try to repair and try to do away with being weak, fragile people. But it will only be much more to our detriment and our hurt and to those that we would try to define what success is apart from him. Okay, success, you can't be more successful than having Christ in you and you being in him. That's the height of success because the height of what God could do and who he is in his very nature, love, would give us his son forever. <laughs> and that's why God had to put on humanity, the son of God. That's forever identification. And God loved you and I so much that when the Son of God became, or was made the Son of Man in one, that when he, God became a man, he became a man forever. Forever identification, forever love. Because how else could we know that? He has to, you know, Christ through the Holy Spirit, he's the interpreter, he's the scholar, he's the theologian. None of us are. Not one single person. Not a single person. But the truth is, he has blessed us with blessings in heaven in Christ that nothing can touch. He could touch the body of Job. And in 1 John 5, 18, the wicked one touches us not. You know what that is? That's our position. And if God does allow the enemy, if he does allow the enemy to touch us in our experience, it's so that we will function and turn away from everything else to him who is our position in our experience. So we actually experience the truth that he is. He's got to take away. Did you know that? God has to take us or take things away. We struggle to hold them in fear. When he's only taking away that that would come in between us and him. And, the very, and sometimes the very things that he gives us, the very blessings that he blesses us with, we take them, forget him, and those the enemy can even use to cause distance between us and God and our experience. 
Look at, look at, you know, come on. You know, if you don't trust God for the word and trust the fact that you, you need to hear it as much as possible, you'll find the enemy will give you other things to find. Seriously. And you will miss a lot of things. All of us will. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's the truth. Right? But n- notice the certainty. He has, past tense, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. And that's why it says, and that's in, first, uh, that's in Ephesians 1, 3. Now I'm going to read from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope. That's Christ in us in Colossians 1.27. A living, a life-giving, a life-imparting hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to an inheritance. Incorruptible. <laughs> no wonder it says you store up those treasures. Never mind the things of the earth and accumulating. Read Matthew the 16th, the 6th chapter and look at verses 19 to 24, to 24 and then read it to 34. Store up treasures in heaven where moth or rust don't corrupt and thieves can't break in there and steal. But boy, they could do it here. And you ever have anything stolen from you that you prized as a possession? That's right. Our inheritance in Christ cannot be stolen, cannot be touched. Cannot be touched. He's begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. Listen, that's what we are in Christ in God's eyes. Is that my experience? Undefiled. Is my conscience defiled? In Titus 1.15, well, Titus 1.15 says to the pure, all things are pure. That's who we are in Christ. That's who Christ is in us. But even their conscience, the unbelievers, and can we function like one? Even their conscience is defiled. But is it in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2? No. We have a clean conscience because his blood, the blood of Christ, his sacrifice on Calvary in Hebrews 9 verse 14 has cleansed our conscience. Listen to this from dead works. For a Christian, he's cleansed our conscience. We don't go by a defiled conscience. That doesn't become the indicator of who I am. Cleanse conscience. Worry? I don't know. Is worry sin? Is worry sin? Is it? Well, Let's look at the scriptures again. Here they are, by the grace of God, Romans 14, 22. Listen, this can only be said to the man in Christ or the woman in Christ. Happy is the man or the woman huh, that condemns not himself and the thing that he allows. Whatever is not of God, what do we allow? What's it called? It's called sin. <laughs> and sin is what? Sin is evil. In Psalm 51, verse 4, sin is evil. You don't separate the two. I don't care what kind of teaching you and I may have heard in the past. You don't separate evil from sin. Sin is evil. Evil is sin. Period. Okay? As simple as that. Huh? So, we have that in Christ, right? We have all this blessing in Christ. We are undefiled. So, happy is the man in Christ, or the woman in Christ, who condemns not himself and the thing that he allows. Now watch what it says in Romans 14, 23. And he that doubts 
is damned if he eat. Is God, will God ever damn me in Christ, ever? How could he if Christ is my life in Colossians 3, 4? No, no. But where do I doubt him in the flesh? Is that who we are in Romans 8, 9? No. He that doubts is damned if he eat, because he eats not a fish. What's damning him? The lie that there's no value, the lie that, that your sin is who you are, and that's how God sees you, and now you have a defiled conscience, do we? No, we have a clean conscience. We're clean. But is that my experience? Is it? Romans 14, 23, and he that doubts is damned if he eat, because he eats not of faith. What's faith? Absolute, continual, constant dependence on Christ. His person, not mine, his person and his finished work. Right? And he that doubts is damned if he eat, because he believes not, he, he, he believes not in faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. Listen, whatsoever is not of depending on him for everything and him being my all, Colossians 3.11, Christ is all and in all. What is it? It's sin. When Christ isn't my all, what am I going to do? I'm going to go after what? You know what happens when we have burdens? When weight, I can't handle this whole big thing. <laughs> right? You know what it says in Hebrews 12.1? Lay aside every weight. Where shall we put them? Right at the feet of Jesus, because those are the feet that walked to the cross and brought him to the cross and took all of our troubles, all of our pain, all of our grief, all the weight that in Psalm 103, verse 14, he knows we're dust. We can't handle anything. We may think so through a deceived lie of the flesh, but the fact is, lay aside every weight, because if you don't, and look what it'll lead to, and the sin, which will so entangle you and trip you up, Right? But what? Looking away from all that would distract. I don't know. Is worry a distraction? Is sin? Doubt? You're going to doubt that God loves you after he gave you his son, you received him, and he's in you. You're going to doubt him. You're going to make more of your circumstance and situation by what you see than, than, than if you and I do that. You know what, guys, as, as Christians, in our experience... It's no longer Christ guiding us through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the circumstance of the situation. I don't like my circumstance and situation here, so I'm going to escape it and set up here. Have fun with that one. Hopefully, by the time you get there, you're taught properly. Because if you're not, that will soon fade. I don't care what it is. I don't care where it is. It doesn't make any difference. I don't care what material possession. It's going to fade. You and I know that. Come on. Certain things that we lusted after, desired, they're dust collectors right now. You know, we collect things so much, we can't even keep up with them. They become dust collectors. You know why? Because, listen, there's no value in them. Our value is in Christ. Simple. We want to dress it up and, you know, we want to dress it up and make ourselves look like the greatest success. And inside, what are we doing? <laughs> it's my experience, the position where Christ holds me in himself. He's irreplaceable. He's irreplaceable. Well, we're almost done. Scratching again. I told God this morning as he took me all through the book of Job, dealing with me, counseling me in areas and just dealing with me. I just was like, it's too wonderful. I can't do it, God. I just kept saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. 
can't do it. I can't. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not the scholar. I'm so glad I'm not the theologian. Oh, I'm so glad it's God, the Holy Spirit, because only God knows God. And only the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, knows the Son and what he accomplished. And only the Son knows the Father. And the Father knows the Son, and they know what's in him. That's right. No man can, can come to him except he's drawn in Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. No man can come to him. We can't except he draw us in John 6, 44, in John 6, verse 65. We can't because without him we can do nothing because in the flesh that's in us, and we're going to close, the flesh that's in us that we're not of in Romans 8, 9, the flesh is in us, but not of because we are of Christ. Our position is in Christ. And that's the first chapter of Ephesians. There's no question about that. But, it, but Jesus said in John 6, 63, as he was talking to his disciples, his, his little pupils, and that's what we are, we're little pupils, <laughs> we can't teach ourselves, so we come and show up to the one, only one who can. That's why we never gather around the pastor, and the sheep aren't the pastors, and they are not his flock, they're his. You read Psalm 95 and read Psalm 100, and you'll see that we're his sheep, and you will also see it in the beautiful 10th chapter of John. We are his sheep. Look at those first 27 verses in John, the 10th chapter. They're beautiful. We're his sheep. We gather around him. Yeah, he's pouring through miracle of all miracles, a weak, frail vessel. But when he can bring me to the realization where I no longer fight my weakness, but I'm okay with it, his strength fills me up. And he fills you up too. That's Joel 3.10 and 2 Corinthians 12.9. I say, I can't do it. It's good, isn't it, Ed? You don't have to. He says, you don't have to. I have. And let me show you. It's what he kept saying to me all morning. I was through the whole book of Job. And we're in the first chapter. In, in the first few verses. Can't even, oh, so much. I said, God, I can't do it. I said, he says, I know. Let me do it in you. Submit. Because the only place you can receive is it resting in the Son of my love. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. That's Zephaniah 3, verse 17. And the Holy Spirit brings the scriptures back to this little weak mind. Let me tell you that right now. <laughs> I'm going to make that crystal clear. And so, and for you and for all of us, thank God for that crystal clear clarity that we have. But this is the truth of the matter. What a bright contrast. I'm just going to read these in close. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How could he be anything but blessed? When we see his glory, oh my God, has blessed us, past tense, with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. Here is again, I'm going to close with reading 1 Peter, 3, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope. We have a living Savior. He's not dead. He's alive. I don't care what Nietzsche said. Maybe he was dead to him because <laughs> his own understanding couldn't get beyond that, just like none of ours can. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the answer, Nietzsche to an inheritance incorruptible. And Nietzsche's the, the height of the religious man who can't find himself and can't find his way to God, and neither can we. Reserved in heaven 
right? Undefiled, it's an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that doesn't fade away. You know, like some of those things we like, they fade after a while, and then we don't need them anymore, and they're dust collectors. But somehow we still can't let them go, because we're still identifying with them. That fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God. We are kept. How do we keep? Do we keep ourselves for a second? Did God leave it up to us? No, we are kept by the power of God through what? Faith, dependence. I see in my experience. My experience is the equal of my position. I am kept. Nothing can touch me. 1 John 5, 18, he can't touch me. He can't touch my faith. He can touch my body. He can touch my finances. He can touch my health, but he can't touch my dependence on Christ. And I'm going to be a vessel. And all I prayed this morning is, please, God, make me a vessel for your glory. Would you please do that? He says, yes, that's why I have to keep you weak. So you don't operate in what you think is your own strength in Psalm 102, verse 23. Who are kept by the power of God through dependence unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So Father, we thank you, praise you for your word and your truth in Jesus' name. Amen.